Welcome to the Advisor Insight Podcast, where we provide informative, insightful content for financial advisors and planners to help you grow your business, your knowledge, and your client base. I'm your host, Andrew Sheena. I'm joined this morning by Catherine Morgan. Catherine is a money coach and award-winning financial planner for women. She's a speaker, podcaster, and best-selling author. She's a certified financial coach working with clients to simplify money, change behaviors, grow their money and invest with confidence. And perhaps one of our main focuses for today, she works with financial advisors and financial planners to integrate financial coaching into their businesses. Uh, Morning, Catherine. Thank you for joining me today. Morning, Andrew. You're very welcome. Lovely to have you. I'll say lovely to have you here. Lovely to have both (laughs) of us here. (laughs) That's it. Uh, You're obviously used to conducting the podcast yourself. So that's, that's quite all right. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so um, used to welcoming people onto my show and it's nice to uh, nice to be here with you today Andrew. <laughs> Thank you, thanks for joining me. So do you want to tell us a little bit about financial coaching, what it is and how it differs from traditional advice or planning? Yeah sure, so um, financial coaching for me is focusing on clients behaviours um, and in order to focus on their behaviours, their actions or inactions so, and, and I'll maybe cover that in a second, actually, because there's an important yeah. differentiation between clients' behaviours. But every single client that walks into our office has a set of beliefs. Um, and those beliefs lead to their behaviours. So often what happens is a client will come in and they'll, they'll come into our office and there'll be two main challenges for them. One will be around the emotions, the feelings, and which is often about not having enough, this feeling of not enoughness. Um, or it could be more than enoughness. You know, people have got more than enough wealth and they don't know how to plan appropriately for their legacy. Um, yeah. But this fee- the, the feelings and the emotions behind money are one of the biggest challenges for our clients and their behaviours. So often they'll get into self-sabotaging, um cycles and patterns of behaviors maybe they don't follow your advice because they're not motivated to do so maybe they just make poor decisions around money maybe they just don't make any decisions at all i mean often when clients come in um to see us you know they're 10 years too late and they always come in and say i wish i was here 10 years ago or i wish i'd have done this in my 20s or my 30s because they get so um wrapped up in the emotions around money the fear the burying their head in the sand all those kind of things that they don't actually take any action at all so financial coaching for me is about understanding a client's thoughts their behaviors their emotions their habits their motivations their values so that when we come to build the financial plan and give the transactional advice that everything just sticks and blends together um but financial coaching for me is is an opportunity to really get to uncover what some of those self-limiting beliefs might be or equally just some of the beliefs they probably never even thought about like 90 percent of our decisions come from our unconscious beliefs things that we're not even aware of or conscious to and an example of that might be uh let's take a typical financial planner um most financial planners and i'm i am kind of generalizing a little bit here but bear with me sure But a lot of financial planners, they're great at what they do because they're great at planning. Now, one of the challenges of being a planner is the action. So often we see this with our clients, right? They come in, Mm. they've got all their spreadsheets. They they think they have a plan. 
but they don't really have a plan and they don't really know how to follow it. They don't really know how to take action. Um, and often they may struggle with um, enjoying their money because they're so their beliefs are so wrapped up around protection and wealth preservation or having that feeling of safety and security that they don't take the necessary risks that they need to take in order to make their wealth grow or to make it sustainable. Um, so it's, it's really uncovering some of the decisions and the behaviours that sit behind money. Yeah, that's, that's actually really, really interesting. I know a lot of advisors that I've spoken to in the past talk about one of the key aspects of the role is managing the emotional side of the clients and that emotional decision making that often comes into play. So it sounds like the financial coaching really, uh, I guess, works very well alongside the financial planning side to help those clients reach where they need to be. And as you say, I think the, the behavior and their decision making is really key to that. It is actually, and that's a really interesting point you mentioned there about it, you know, their decision-making process is really important because often in financial planning and financial advice, it's us that comes up with the solution. You know, that's what yeah. we're trained to do. We're trained to look at a client situation and come up with a, you know, the, 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 the best outcome or the most suitable recommendation for the client. Financial coaching is very much flipping that on its head and it's getting the client to come up with their own solutions so we're yeah. really just um, holding the space for them to have really deep and meaningful conversations about, about money. And when I say about money, it's never about the money. <laughs> it's always about the meaning that they attach to money. So right. you kind of want to get to a position where you can really understand what does money mean to them? So if you were to ask them a question, what does money mean to you? You know, money, money is what? Fill in the blank. Money is what? And a lot of typically what comes out in those conversations are it's money is is greedy. Money is is fear. Money is shameful. Um, money is dirty. Money is hard work. Um, all of these kind of emotions come out and those yeah. emotions yeah. come from a place of our unconscious biases things that we've grown up around messages that we've heard from our parents or our grandparents mm -hmm. and so many of the money beliefs that we actually carry are 100 inherited they just yeah. come through yeah. the generations and you can see that with generationally if you uh, i mean if i talk to my nan for example she's very much of a scarcity mindset around money because she grew up through the war everything was about being rationed and yeah. uh, not enoughness um, and so her patterns of behaviours were governed by culturally what was going on, you know, what was going on in society. Also, yeah. that generation was very much about the man bringing, bringing home the money and being the main um, income provider and the woman being the main caregiver. And there's right. that shift of power, isn't there? We often see the clients now that the more modern day couple so to speak it isn't necessarily the man earning the most money sometimes it can be the the woman in the relationship and that can sometimes be a challenge mm -hmm. because from a man's perspective and not not all men but from a man's perspective generationally he's been brought up typically that his father has been the main income generator and his father has been the main income generator so that right. it can it can kind of create some conflict 
with money conversations between couples and but it's not the money that's the conflict money is just a physical piece of paper you know physical coin it's a tool it's a value of exchange but it's the meaning that we attach to that value of exchange and how comfortable we feel giving and receiving that actually makes the difference I can imagine and that must make you feel much more empowered to help clients because trying to understand where their decisions or or lack of decisions, as you mentioned earlier, perhaps inaction, where that's coming from, must help you or put you in a much better position to deal with that and approach it rather than not understanding why they're not making a decision or why they're not taking on advice. Or So do you find it helps you to get a client from A to B, or that's a very rudimentary way of putting it, but getting them to get to their objectives by having that understanding of where those belief systems come from and what's impacting their decision making. Yeah, and I think the key there is that it helps them to understand Mm. uh, rather than us. So this is one of the hardest um, things to get your head around, the hardest skills and, and, and concepts to get your head around is that financial coaching is not about us asking questions and then coming up with a a solution or us thinking of why is the client not sticking to this plan or taking my advice it has to come from the client the client has to be in a state of ambivalence they have to be ready and motivated for that change so a really good example of that is you know how many times do we sit on the couch on a Sunday night and say to ourselves I really need to to lose two stone I really need to start this diet tomorrow um and so we kind of get that short-term state of ambivalence and state of motivation Mm. and maybe we might lose a few pounds and we'll we'll move away from the pain of being two stone overweight um, and we'll build that motivation and then we may lose the two stone but then the pain disappears because we've lost the we've lost the weight and so we go back into a cycle of overeating again or over drinking and we pile on the two stone again and then we feel the pain again so then we come back up again and we get the motivation again and it's very short term it's very short term motivated so often with financial coaching one of the great exercises to do with them is to understand their extrinsic and their intrinsic motivation you know are they being motivated to just keep up with the joneses or are they being motivated to really focus on living their life in a way that makes them feel happy and valued. And so it's, it's nothing to do with outer external motivation or achieving anything. Yeah. It's just that sense of being and that sense of being happy and comfortable with what they're doing. But they have to be ready for that change. They have to be yeah. motivated. And so financial coaching works really well if you have got clients who are ready for some kind of change, whether that's changing their habits whether it's changing their behaviours, whether it's changing they want to feel more comfortable taking more risks um, and they're not comfortable because maybe they heard messages about, well, don't invest in the stock market because the stock market's bad or, you know, money, you know, don't invest your money and, and give it all away because rich people are greedy and all of these self-limiting beliefs that they may have heard growing up. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's quite a, a deep process to go through with clients and, and even so, it sounds like something that you need to be well versed in and understand well to be able to do with the clients. So obviously, as we, we touched on at the very beginning, you help, you work with clients yourself on, on this front, but you also help advisors develop financial coaching into their businesses. Is it quite a in-depth process to, to help them understand the mindsets and the beliefs to work on with clients? 
Yeah, it is. It is a deep process, but it's quite a deep inner process. So one of the things that we were quite surprised about, actually, when we launched our training program earlier this year, was the the number of financial planners that have completely changed their own relationship with money because we get them to go through the process themselves so that when they're using it with clients they can understand what it feels like to go through those processes and those exercises Um, and I'll just share two really great examples of what we had one financial planner who by the start of the program she was a a financial planner she was looking after women who have lost their partners so really niche market yeah by the end of 12 weeks she'd set up a separate coaching business um, and she's now been interviewed on podcasts all over the world. Like she's and she's Amazing. never done a Facebook Live or anything. She's really built that <laughs> confidence to be able to go out and share her mission and purpose. And we had another lady who we were talking about having an overgiving relationship with money, and she really resonated with the fact that she is an overplanner and an overgiver. So she could give very freely to other people, including yeah. her time. Um, and when it came to the having conversations about her charging in her business, she got very uncomfortable about that conversation. Um, and often she would just kind of, you know, I'll send you an email with a client agreement type, you know, type conversation. Yeah. And by the end of the program, she bought this house in France for herself because she had realized <laughs> that that overgiving relationship was self-sabotaging her needs, that she wasn't able to do the things that she wanted to do in her life. And so, you know, little things like that we were really unexpected for us we kind of we didn't realize how deep this work would go um, in going through these exercises and we we do several different um different ways of teaching planners how to incorporate this into their practices and I'm a massive believer and it doesn't really matter whether you set it up as a new business or you incorporate it in your existing business that the main reason that we're wanting to do this is to have a deeper relationship with our clients to get more self-fulfillment in our work and really to encourage more consumers to begin getting access to tools that can help them to change their relationship with money because we know it's not just about financial education we know it's not just about the products that they need you know the pensions and the investments and the insurances yes they need all those things but they don't wake up in the middle of the night thinking I need a pension or I need some life insurance. They wake up feeling a sense of not enoughness or fear or guilt or shame or worrying about their future. And if we can tap into that, which is at the root cause of how they make all their decisions, um, that just opens up a whole new gateway of opportunity. Amazing. And uh, what kind of results and I guess reactions have you seen from clients and advisors who have gone down that journey with you? Oh, like, so I work, we work in lots of different ways with clients in our business. So we have group programs, we have memberships, masterminds, and, and then I, I take on a few one-to-one clients a year. Um, the results are like c- completely transformational, but at all different levels. So we have some yeah. clients that come to work with us who are in debt. They, they don't have a, a spending plan they you know, they maybe they've got credit cards, um, debts, they've got loans. Um, and so when they go through our free programs or they listen to the podcast or they come into our communities, you know, when they focus on their habits and the underlying emotion that sits behind that, they can literally, some of them have gone from being in debt to coming out of debt. I mean, I was in 30,000 pounds worth of debt in my twenties and 
I was a financial advisor at the time. So you can imagine the guilt and the shame associated with right. that. Interesting. And I, I always say to people, the two main things that I did to get myself out of that situation, one was changing my relationship with money and understanding that your self-worth is nothing to do with your net worth. And also um, having awareness, awareness mm. over what I was actually spending. I had no idea what I was spending. I didn't want to know what I was spending because I used money as a tool to make me feel better about myself. And so with clients, when they understand that and they can bring that awareness to their numbers and to their relationship with money, it changes everything. Um, so it can move them from a place of instability to stability. It can move them from a place of stability to then starting to really grow their wealth. Um, yeah. And I, mean, I love Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think that's a great representation <laughs> of how, you know, often clients are in a place of insecurity. They don't have an emergency fund. They don't, you know, they have credit cards. They may live beyond their means. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and they're desperate for financial freedom because that's what they see everybody talking about. And they try and keep up with the Joneses and comparatonitis comes to play and the inner critic comes yeah. out and says, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You're not perfect enough. All of these little messages. And they try too quickly to try and reach financial freedom with no strong foundations set in place. So the clients that we work with, we, we help them to get those foundations really strong, but not just right. practically, emotionally and physically and spiritually and all of those things, because it all feeds mm -hmm. into each other. Money feeds right. our well-being, our, you know, our physical well-being, our mental well-being, our relationships, everything. Um, and then we help them to move from a place of stability into growing their wealth and we've had many ladies who now are self-investing you know not not significant amounts but these are the clients that will eventually go to financial planners because they've got emergency funds in place they're out of debt they've got positive money habits and relationship with themselves and now they're they're ready to start growing and creating wealth which is then where I think um, you know most financial planners and advisors are positioned in that market of you know, you've got to have a, you know, a little bit of money in the bank before that you can work with them to make money, right? It's a, it's a profitable business. But financial coaching as well is a profitable business. Um, you know, we, we made uh, over six figures in uh, last year in our business just from financial coaching. So what the, the reason I share that is I don't want people to think that this is not money coaching. This is not how do you budget which debt do you pay down first? Uh, you know, it's not that kind of um, education we're helping people with. This is changing their behaviors and their habits and their beliefs. This is super powerful work. Um, and people are very willing to pay for that because they don't know how to change it. They don't know how to stop self-sabotaging. So it's a very profitable way of adding this into your business to make your business stand out from the crowd and do something completely yeah unique and you know i really think this is a great opportunity to be getting on the you know the, the crest of a wave the future of financial planning um and and i think it's a, just a, an amazing way to add value to your clients absolutely and what, what's the reaction been from advisors that you've trained and in terms of how they've got results from their clients so the the, the best example i can give you of that um is one of the ladies in my uh, in the cohort we did in the summer this month. Um, she had a couple that she'd looked after for about 15, 20 years. 
And every time she went to see them, the husband was never there. He was always on the golf course. And <laughs> halfway through the training program, she said, I've got the review meeting for all these clients. And she messaged me and said, look, I'm going to I'm going to use this tool with them. One of the tools that we share in the program. Um, how can I position it? So we talked it through. She said, All right, okay. So she positioned this tool with the client about, you know, changing their relationship with money and looking at some of the things that they're not doing and helping them to find some solutions to that. And um, he showed up to the meeting. And at the end of the meeting, he said, um, that was the best meeting I've ever had. When is the next oh, one? Wow. Incredible. Um, and so we were like, we were all like, she shared it in this WhatsApp group with us all. And we were like, wow, that that on its own is invaluable. Yeah, the fact that she now has an opportunity to engage him into the conversation. Um, and also, you know, he's at the end of it saying, when is the next one? So that obviously showed that she'd given so much value. Yeah. Because it was really just about them. And people love talking yeah. about themselves. They love finding the problems and the challenges and being able to come up with their, their own solutions. And she just held the space for them, asked really good coaching questions, um, reflected the language back to the client. And that was the outcome that she got. So we were all just like, we were Brilliant. so happy for her. Yeah, I can imagine. And I guess it's a way of deepening that relationship with the clients, as well as uncovering all of the, the behaviours that they have and the reasons for their decision makings and the reasons for their beliefs but also deepening that relationship with them because you're asking questions you're understanding things about them that people probably haven't tried to understand before yeah absolutely it's one of the greatest things I think that we can do as financial planners and advisors is to help the clients stretch their comfort zones you know help them to stretch their financial comfort zones um because we all have our own comfort zone. Like right now, you can probably think about how much money do you need to have in your bank account for you to feel financially okay? Like at what point would yeah. your bank balance need to go down to X amount before you need to top that up a little bit? Um, yeah, and for most people, you know, it will be a figure. There'll be a figure that you'll all be thinking now in mind. Like, oh, I need to have five five thousand pounds. Anything less than that, I start to get a bit twitchy. Or anything less than a thousand pound, or anything less than a hundred pounds, um, and and that will become your comfort zone. And yeah. clients will have that too. So when I was in my twenties, my overdraft was my comfort zone, which sounds really bizarre, right? Well, how can living in your overdraft be comfortable? It was comfortable because it was familiar. Mm. But when I got out of my overdraft, it felt so unfamiliar, I would find any possible excuse to spend more money, because I needed to get back into my comfort zone. So the washing machine would suddenly blow up, or the car tire would get a puncture, or something would come up and I'd be like, I, I just need to get some more cushions for my sofa or some picture frames <laughs> or a new dress or whatever. There would it, it wouldn't actually even matter what it was, it would just be that was my comfort zone. And that's a really interesting conversation to have with your client. You know, what is your comfort zone? Because particularly when it comes to things like emergency funds and where do you store your money? Well, if their comfort zone is five grand in their bank account and you're saying, well, don't keep that much in your bank account because you know, it's not very good to keep that amount in your bank account, you're not getting any interest. You know, that may, may make them feel very uncomfortable. So it's, it's playing that back to them. How much do you need to have to feel comfortable? Because you want yeah, them to yeah. feel safe and secure, right? So if we can help them to feel safe and secure, 
they're going to feel more positive about the relationship with you because you're making them feel safe and secure, but they're also making themselves feel safe and secure and stretching that comfort zone. You know, if you're working with a business owner and um, maybe they're not charging enough for their business or they're un, you know, undercharging or they're giving away too much of their time and they're coming to your office saying, I just wish I could drop a day a week and work four days rather than five. Well, the, the obvious one, the obvious solution is we'll just drop a day but it's not as clear as that or as easy as that because they'll have self-limiting beliefs that sit behind that. Well, you know, my dad told me that you have to work hard to make money. So if that belief is carried in them unconsciously, they're never going to drop that day because they'll feel like they're not working hard enough. And then they'll feel like they're not worthy enough or they'll feel like they're not providing enough. So if we can really bring some curiosity and awareness to what those beliefs are, it can just be like so transformational for, for the client. Given the the importance of it and certainly the complementary nature of how it works alongside financial planning, I can see how it will impact people and advisors and their clients now. But how did you get into it to begin with? Because it, it also seems quite, while it's very complementary, it also seems quite separate in terms of the type of work and the mindset that you have to work on with the clients. So how did you how did you go about it? Yeah, great question. So the first thing I did, so I'll I'll take you back slightly and I'll give you the shortened version of this. But (laughs) in 2013, I'd spent five years prior to that working in the Channel Islands, um, which is a little island sandwiched between the coast of France, northern France and and the UK. And I was a sales manager over there looking after a team of advisors and um, a very high net worth kind of place to 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 live and at that time I had my first son and in 2013 we moved back to the UK and I had my second son and when he was born at five weeks old he had bacterial meningitis and we almost lost him and at the time it was um obviously a, a very difficult time um but the the moment when I was in hospital with him the, the day I took him into A&E, actually, um, I never forget the moment when they put me on a wheelchair and he was in my arms and they wheeled me into resuscitation. And all these doctors were swarming around the beds and they were just they were saying all these words that I didn't understand. They were saying like sepsis, sepsis, sepsis. I remember thinking, I think I know what sepsis is, but I'm not really sure what the implications of that are. Um And I didn't realise that septicemia was one of the biggest killer of newborn babies. I didn't know that sepsis or that the signs of sepsis were all the signs that Thomas had been um, like showing 24 hours before. Cold hands, cold feet, grunting in his sleep. I didn't know any of these things. And consequently, after he came out of hospital, he's a very healthy, happy seven-year-old now. But after he came out... I um I was diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and I went into a huge spiral of anxiety because every time he cried, it took me back to when he was in hospital being jabbed with needles um, and, and I wasn't listening. I felt like I wasn't being heard as a mum when this doctor was trying to ram this needle into his cannula and Thomas is screaming because it wasn't in the right place. Um, And the doctor was just completely ignoring me and just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And he's screaming and screaming and screaming. And eventually he he 
sort of turn around to me and said, oh, yeah, we need to change the cannula. And I was like, yep, I've been telling you that for like 10 minutes. Um, but that one moment, that one trigger triggered me to then thinking that I had to try and control everything. I didn't want him to cry. I didn't want him to be in pain. And so the overspend cycle reoccurred for me. That traumatic event, you know, caused me to overspend and again I got back into debt again and I was you know just not really aware of what I was spending and we see this with people with alcohol addictions drug addictions overspending addictions you know it is a a mental health condition and so when I went back to work at the bank a year later I remember sitting in my office I remember sitting there thinking I wonder how many people feel about this or feel like this about money I wonder how many people don't understand the jargon that we use in financial services and they don't come and see us because they don't understand it. Or when they do come and see us, they feel a huge amount of judgment and shame, which is exactly how I felt when I was in hospital. And so a year later, I left, I resigned, I set myself up as a self-employed consultant, um, went to work with some IFA practices and um, wasn't particularly... um, happy with uh, the way that those practices were operating and I, I just felt very disconnected because right. it wasn't about the products for me it was all about this kind of work it was all about the behaviors and the habits so I started reading every single possible book there was around <laughs> money mindset behavioral finance I then studied uh, a financial coaching qualification in the UK uh, I also did a US qualification uh, I then studied uh, neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, and I became a practitioner yeah, yeah. in NLP. I just basically went into the whole world of behavioral finance and money mindset. And I started blogging about my journey. I started writing about it. I started forming my social media communities. And then I started putting together programs and podcast episodes and interviewing people around the world. And it, it all just kind of stemmed from there. And I think for most financial advisors and planners um you know I I see a lot of a lot of uh willingness to want to learn more but learn more that's outside of the standard financial advisor qualifications yes Um, yes. the vast majority will know so much about the the, the technical side of things and the the, their technical knowledge will be they'll know everything inside out but it's developing in other areas I guess yeah, I in that same year, I did my pension transfer qualifications. I did three exams that year for pensions, and I hated every minute of it. Um, two of them I passed, one of them I failed. And I just sat there thinking, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I focusing on technical aspects that I don't enjoy? And I was just enjoying working with clients so much that I just decided that that's what I wanted to focus on. And I ended up investing quite a lot of money with mentors and learning how to build online courses and memberships and digital assets. And uh, for those of you who don't follow the work of Daniel Priestley, Daniel Priestley's books, 24 Assets and Key Person of Influence were really important books for me at that time because I really wanted to create big change. And I felt that I needed to create... um, you know, I wanted to get on stage, I wanted to talk about it, but I was, you know, it was really nerve wracking for me. I'd I'd never been on stage before and I'd never done Facebook lives before, but I just got started. I just pushed through it and just got started. And 
Um, now, really, our mission is to equip and prepare a million women to be financially resilient across the world. And in order to do that, I really believe passionately in helping other financial planners and advisors to be doing this work so that it filters through. We get that domino effect, you know, that chain reaction of the more financial planners and advisors that can do this kind of work, the more change and support we can give to consumers. That's, that's fascinating. A really interesting journey that's got you to where you are today, um, all triggered by, again, think things that happened in your past. And it's great to hear that uh, Thomas is well and healthy now. But it's interesting how you've used certain things that happened in your own life to trigger and to start the way that you wanted to work to suit you and to suit your clients. As a result, that's a really a really motivating story, I hope, for many, many of our listeners. One thing that you mentioned there about is helping a million women get to, to that stage of financial, uh, do you say financial freedom or financial, what, what was the phrase you used financial again? Financial resilience, yeah. Financial resilience. So as a result of that, you're obviously helping other people learn about financial coaching, how to help their clients on that front. What are the challenges that uh, advisors face when they're trying to build this into their financial advice or financial planning practices? And can it be done together? Can you do it alongside financial advice or, or are they best kept separate? Yeah, so we do both. I mean, I've, um, I'm still a regulated financial planner. I don't, I don't take on one-to-one clients in the advice space anymore. I just funnel those um, referrals into other practices. Um, but it can work in both settings. I'm a massive believer in that. I think some of the challenges that we found and I found actually when I first started introducing this into my work, first of all, was how do I find the clients that want financial coaching? Um, And so I'm, you know, I'm a a big marketeer. I'm very much about being visible on social media and producing content like podcasting and memberships and courses to start attracting those ideal clients. I also am a big believer in the one-to-many approach rather than one-to-one approach because the one-to-many approach a is a better from a financial perspective because you can help more people um, mm-hmm. but also impact wise you know we can have more influence on more people at the same time so it, it's a great way of leveraging your time with your expertise so um, that was one of the challenges as well when I become a financial coach um, you know how do I attract those clients and and that is all really all about marketing and learning how to position yourself in a way that isn't just the standards you know we do pensions investments protection which you often see on on websites this is about sharing your story sharing your mission helping really niching down and, and and not being afraid to niche down I mean most of the financial coaches and planners that I work with that are very successful are more successful because they're very niche you know, like the lady I shared with you earlier, she works with women who have lost their partners. Another advisor I work with looks after men, uh, specifically men with mental health issues. And he uses coaching and planning in his business to support those types of clients. Mm. Um, so I think it, it's partly one of the challenges as well. If I become a financial coach, how do I attract clients? How do I integrate it into my existing work with my existing clients? So in the program, we talk through how you can introduce it into your review meetings, how you can pre-position it before they come in. And also, if you've got a new client, how you position it in your discovery call. So one of the greatest questions that I 
always ask on any discovery call with a new client is how will you know when this meeting has been successful? You know, if okay. we were to work together in some way, you know, I'm not guaranteeing, I'm not guaranteeing that we are going to work together, but if we were to work together in some way, how will you know when that meeting has been successful? How will you be feeling? What will you be doing yeah. differently? Um, and that's a great way to introduce it because then you may, they may say something like, well, you know, I've got, all these pension pots all over the place. And I think they should be consolidated. And, you know, I want to have a better retirement. I want to make sure I've got enough money. And, and, it, and you, what you're looking for is those breadcrumbs of language. So if they're saying things like, I want to have enough money in retirement. So what does enoughness mean to you? Yeah. Oh, oh, I don't know. No one's ever asked me that. I don't know. And then you, you pause. Because anytime a client says, I don't know, it just means they do know but their brain needs the time to just catch up a little bit because it's a difficult question. So what most advisors will do is, is they'll answer the, they'll answer for the client or they'll ask a question like that. And then they'll follow up with another question, another question. The client hasn't actually got time to even think about their answer. So when you ask them something like, you know, what does having enough mean? And they say, Oh, I don't know. Then you just pause. Don't say anything. And it's quite difficult to hold silence sometimes for what can feel like a lifetime. In reality, it's probably about 10 seconds. And then they'll be like, oh, yeah, I just basically want to have enough money so that I can provide for me and my family and my children. And then that's when you can start to feed in. Well, you know, before we look at your plan and any products that you might need to help you to reach that plan, you know, I'd love to spend some time looking at um, how you can create that feeling of enoughness. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I would recommend that we have a, a storytelling meeting first before we go into the, the numbers. And, okay, and during that conversation, we're going to be talking about your relationship with money and the meaning that you attach to money, because you've been saying this, this and this to me on this call today. Um, and you've also identified that this is a challenge for you. So I really want to help you to identify what your behavior is with money and your habits and your beliefs so that when we build your financial plan, it's going to stick. Is that okay yeah. with you? Yes, that'd be great. And then, you know, you can bring it in that way. There's lots of other ways of bringing it in, but, but for me, if you can sow the seeds and listen to their language and reflect their language back to them, if they're ready to create change and, and they're motivated to do that, that's a great opportunity to be talking to clients and even in their review meetings, you know, Mr. Yeah, Smith, yeah. last year I've been, I asked you to write a will. How have you been getting on with that? Oh, I still haven't done it. I still haven't done it, Catherine. It's, still, it's been on my to-do list for a year. You know, can we talk about this? Because I appreciate that it's been on your to-do list for a year now. Um, you know, can, can we look at ways together to help you to, um, to get that will written? Or, or let's, let's just talk about what might be underneath that. Let's talk about what might be challenging and stopping you from, from taking that action. Um, so it's really identifying what their challenges are and if they can identify the challenges even better um, and then helping them to work through those so I'm a big believer in often challenges for financial advisors are how do I attract clients we cover that in our program you know how do we introduce this we cover that Um, and and there's no cookie cutter approach it's it depends on you as an individual yeah. Um, there may be some of you listening to this thinking, I don't want to be a coach. I don't want to be a coach. That's that's fine. 
And I think there's a great opportunity as well to be working collaboratively with coaches and having them almost like as external consultants or even having them in as in-house consultants. Maybe you've got power planners on your team or you've got admin staff that do want to do this kind of work. And it could be that you're in harmony together providing that service. It doesn't have to be one person, but I think to have that service available in your practice is a great opportunity Mm. to really add value and i'd imagine even those advisors who don't or planners who don't want to be coaches would still benefit hugely by understanding the psychology behind all of it as well even if they're not going to be the coach themselves if they're going to implement it in their practice by as you've said using someone else or bringing someone in having that understanding of what their client's going through or what's behind their decision making or behind their behaviors must be really beneficial yeah yeah it's a really good point actually we do learn a lot about ourselves when we you know when we uncover our limiting beliefs around money um, and understanding where our patterns have come from and our you know inherited beliefs from our families and and society and culture and social media and all of those influences it can be really really interesting to understand that fascinating well i really appreciate uh, you joining me this morning catherine I think it's been really interesting to understand so many different factors that go behind the behavior of clients. Is there anything that you'd like to add or anything that you perhaps we haven't touched on today that you think is important? Um, I would just, I guess, just sort of leave people with, um, you know, if if you're in a, what, what should, what's the best kind of, I, I think for most financial planners, now is an opportunity to just think about what's right for you and there's lots of people that i speak to that have concerns or or that they know that they want to be doing things differently but they just don't know how to do it and what i would say is is if you're working by yourselves particularly and you're running your own practice get involved in communities that are talking about life planning and financial coaching and and financial well-being and just um just start having those conversations because for me when I was back in 2016 when I was really fed up of my job and I didn't know where to go I came across a community over in the UK called Next Gen and they literally saved me I wouldn't be here without them today but just surrounding myself by like-minded people and having these kind of conversations about, well, that's quite interesting. Could I do that? Or could I look at this? Um, I think is one of the biggest ways to keep us personally as planners and advisors feeling positive about ourselves. And, you know, we all need support, right? (laughs) Not just our clients, but we do too. That's definitely come up as a theme in a number of conversations I've had with advisors where the benefit of community and having sounding boards and having people to bounce ideas off and be reassured by it's it's not necessarily where everyone is your competition. There's more than enough clients to go around. So many advisors benefit from being able to speak to other people in the community who understand challenges that you face and to be able to talk those through is hugely beneficial. Yeah, 100%. I think it's if we can support each other and have some good, open, honest conversations, then, um, you know, is that as important to look after our own well-being as it is our clients? Yeah, fantastic. That's really interesting, Catherine. So I really appreciate your time. 
I will put details of your website and your email address in the show notes in case anyone wants to get in touch. Is there any anywhere else where people should follow you or get in touch with you if they're interested in finding out more? Um, I mean, I'm pretty much on most social media platforms. So LinkedIn, uh, people can connect with me over on LinkedIn. Um, the, yeah, the website, we've got all the details about our programs on, on the website. Um, and we have some free downloads and things that people can use if they want to, you know, to maybe start looking at financial coaching and looking at maybe the sorts of questions that you can start using with clients. Um, right. I'll send you over the, the link. Perhaps, Andrew, you can share that. Um, just, you know, just okay. say if you're curious to what this might look like with clients, then we can give you a little taster as to what kind of questions you can be using with clients. And maybe, you know, maybe start using a couple of those and seeing what kind of transformation you can you can get just by changing the kind of questions that we're asking in that early discovery call process um, or your early fact finding meetings. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight to be here. No, thank you so much, Catherine. I'm sure everyone's going to find this a really fascinating episode. So thanks once again. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please do share with your colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. For further details about today's episode, please check the show notes, including social media accounts to follow loads of great content. If you have any feedback or any suggestions of what you'd like to hear on future episodes, please get in touch on Andrew at advisorinsightpod.com